was Peter <laughs> the first pope? There's so much that hangs on this question, especially, of course, going back to the Reformation. But what's great about this is it goes even before you know, the Reformation to the schism between East and West. Uh, obviously, the, the fate of Christendom as a, as a unified thing depends on this question. So this is a big, big question. But it's a theological one, right? Like to say, who was Peter the first pope? Yeah, it is a theological one. And so I think we can spend this episode kind of explaining uh, the tradition of the church, looking at it historically. Yeah. So how do we understand... Peter being the first pope, which is a theological principle, how do we understand that historically? And let's unpack that a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. And then maybe uh, towards the end of the episode, we'll ask just, okay, now that we've sort of established this historically, why Rome mm-hmm. as, as a primacy? So let's dive in then. So first things first, what's the, what's the, the neat history, the, the Eusebius tradition? So the Eusebius <laughs> tradition uh, preserved in the church history is that Peter was indeed the first bishop of Rome, the first pope of Rome, mm-hmm. um, holds the primacy. Um, uh, later tradition of the church says that Peter uh, reigned over the Church of Rome from maybe the early 40s all the way to his death in Rome in the 60s of the first century. So that's the tradition of the church. And he and he bases that on Acts chapter 12, right? Because Acts chapter 12 is... Yeah, so in Acts chapter 12, uh, that's when Peter gets out of prison. Remember yeah. we mentioned that before, and, and then Peter gets out of prison and says, hey, go tell James I'm out of prison. <laughs> and then very oddly, uh, Luke says that, and then he went to another place. But he doesn't tell us where he went. Yeah. So there's kind of this gap there. Well, maybe it's possible that in the 40s then, early 40s, Peter then went to, to Rome. Yeah, because the next time we see him show up uh, is Acts 15. Right? Yeah, he comes back in Acts 15. So we're now we're talking five, six years later for the Council of Jerusalem, which yeah. we've covered. And he leads that council um, in the city of Jerusalem. So we can say that's sort of the the neat version of the history, the traditional version. Um, what is historiography? Yeah, but, well, I, what I want to say is it doesn't hang on... The tradition of the Roman Catholic Church doesn't hang on Rome being the first church ever established. Yeah, no. We know that it wasn't. It, Jerusalem was the first church ever established. Yeah, yeah. So what would be, I guess, the historiographical uh, picture then? So others, uh, whether you're his- looking at it historically critically or if you're a Protestant or even an Eastern Orthodox, um, they'll point out that uh, Rome wasn't established by Peter, wasn't founded by Peter for a couple of reasons. First, it's odd that the book of Acts doesn't say that Peter went to Rome. Yeah. Because the whole point of the book of Acts, according to Luke, was to get you to Rome. So he, he begins in Jerusalem, and then by the end of the book of Acts, he ends in Rome with Paul being there. Mm-hmm. So it's odd that if the goal was to show that the gospel went forth throughout the empire, that if Paul, Peter's not mentioned in being Rome, that that's very odd. Which, by he... the way, for, for listeners, maybe if you're not as familiar with, with the book of Acts that we've been referring to so much... That is the ark. I mean, it, it, it starts on Pentecost with Peter, the gospel is going out from Jerusalem, we have the Council of Jerusalem, but then you have, it's, there's sort of a switch point where all the book of Acts talks about from that point on is Paul. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because it's, again, it, it, and it actually goes to the first person. So it's, it switches mm-hmm. from a third person account of the events of Jerusalem, and then somewhere in there, it switches to we. Yeah, and that's, here. And, we that's not, and that's not because Luke isn't, doesn't care about anybody else. It's because he was a companion of St. Paul. Exactly. So he's telling Paul's story because, uh, and then eventually Luke is with Paul on these mm-hmm. journeys. Yeah. And then he's relating the history of the church. Yeah, and, and so then the whole goal of the book basically is to get Paul <laughs> to Rome. <laughs> yeah, because the, because the gospel had to go to the ends of the earth. And mm-hmm. that's the point of, of the book of Acts. Yeah. The second piece of evidence that they'll point to is say, well... You know, Paul wrote a letter to the Roman church. Uh, it's one of Paul's great letters. And if Peter was ruling the church of Rome... During that time. It, during that yeah. time, it's odd that, 
that Paul does not make mention of Peter, especially because at the end of the letter to the Romans, Paul lists a whole bunch of names of people that he knows in Rome. Chapter 16. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla are there, all, all these people that he's naming. And so if Peter was, in fact, in Rome at that time, in, uh, in 56, 57, 58, um, it'd be odd for Paul not to mention Peter yeah. uh, being there. So that's what historical critical or Protestants will come and say, well, Peter wasn't there because of these um, few reasons. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, then let's, uh, let's outline sort of our view, right? Because I think our main view, just, just to head it off, is that Rome is the heir to a Jerusalemite faith. We know that. And it's not, but it's not just any Jerusalemite faith, right? It's going to be a pre-James Jerusalemite faith. In other words, a Petrine mm-hmm. Jerusalemite faith. So we, we would sort of bridge the gap between the, what the historiography is saying today and what the traditional account would have been. Exactly. So there is a way of reading the tradition, but using the history to explain how we understand yeah. that tradition. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so when you all this time we've been talking about James, the Lord's brother, right? We've had a couple mm-hmm. of episodes on him now. We've really brought him to the forefront. And we did that for a reason because... James seems to be one of those kind of hidden figures in the biblical record, but there's so much to talk about. So we wanted to bring him forward. We have to remember, however, that James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, in Judea. And he wasn't always the leader of the church in Jerusalem and in Judea. In fact, James, the Lord's brother, doesn't even get mentioned by name until Acts chapter 12. Think about that. Acts chapter 12. So 11, 11 <laughs> chapters have already happened. And in those 11 chapters, you're looking at about 14 or 15 years in historical time. Yeah. So from 30 AD to 44, 45 AD, mm-hmm. who's leading the earliest church? Well, James is leading the church locally after 44, 45. Mm-hmm. But the, leader, the leaders of the church universal are the apostles. Yeah. And who's the leader of the apostles? Unanimously... It was St. Peter. Yeah. And this is what you see in the earliest chapters of the book of Acts. Peter is the one who's standing up and preaching to the people. On Pentecost. He's giving all the first sermons to the peoples, all the baptisms, all the conversions are happening through the preaching of Peter. And the missions are happening through the direction of St. Peter. So St. Peter is is establishing the church in Jerusalem and elsewhere. Yeah. I think in our previous two episodes, like you said, because we were emphasizing James so much, um, we we sort of uh, missed this for the audience. And I think it's important that this is the episode where we bring it out that remember that the Jerusalem church was not established in James. It was handed to him. Mm-hmm. It was entrusted to, well, Peter and the apostles yeah. as they go to, into their missionary um, era, mm-hmm. as they're leaving the city because of persecutions, by the way, mm-hmm. they have to leave the city. They entrust the church to then Jesus's family members because yeah. they know they can trust them with the gospel. Yeah. And remember what's what are the people reading out there you know it's 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 not just jerusalem it's it's out there in the quote quote unquote diaspora in the nations what are they reading they're reading the accounts of the gospels yeah that's what they're reading they're not reading the book of acts you know about james and jerusalem you know they're they're reading they're they're reading or listening to the oral tradition they're not hearing about james Mm -hmm. they're hearing about peter James and John (laughs) and the other James, right? James, James, the Lord's brother does not appear in the gospels. In fact, and and only time that he does, it says they weren't believing in Jesus at the time, (laughs) at the time. So what, when the, when the early Christians around the Mediterranean are hearing the gospel orally or in its first written form, um, they're, they're learning of Peter's leadership role among the apostles. And like we said in the previous episode, remember, remember that for some of these churches, the source of a lot of their problems 
was actually James <laughs> James in Jerusalem. Even if it wasn't James directly, it was men from James men who from would come James. and cause problems yeah. in their churches. So it's like, you know, Jerusalem is sort of a source of tension sometimes for these churches outside of Judea. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them, they saw Peter. They saw Paul. They ate with them. They lived with them. They, you know, they touched them. Um, so for them, the apostles are the leaders and Peter is the leader of the apostles. Yep. Yeah. So then that takes us into... You know, how do we lend credence then to this claim that I started off with where Rome has in its character this Jerusalemite kind of Petrine thing going on? So what what my opinion, and, and I think you would agree, is that even if Peter didn't physically go to Rome in the 40s, and if even if he wasn't physically leading the church there in the 40s and 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. the gospel went forth from Jerusalem at a time when Peter was leading the church in Jerusalem. Yeah. So in Acts chapter 2, on Pentecost, it says that all these people from all the nations, all these Jews from all the nations were there on Pentecost for mm-hmm. the Jewish feast. Mm-hmm. And it lists all the nations who were there and the, and, the, and the apostles began speaking in tongues, right? The different languages. And then it says that there were also travelers, visitors from Rome who were present. Okay, so let's like everybody rest in that for a moment. Peter's preaching. Remember that 3,000 people get baptized. 3,000 Jews get baptized, and it, it lists all the nations that these people came from, and people, Jews, from Rome are a part of that. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, they received baptism from Peter himself and then went back to Rome. And then, of course, yeah, they stayed perhaps in Jerusalem for a while through the feast days, and then they went back, obviously, to their home in Rome and then established the church. Mm-hmm. And so then whose name do you think they would claim when they went back to Rome to say who gave them the gospel? Yeah. It's an early, tra- it's, it's, it's an early, uh, it's baked into it. Uh, it's, it's in the early tradition of the first century that people, when they would go back to their city, would say what apostle they came in the name of too, mm-hmm. especially at later times. Yeah. They would lend credence to their message by saying, I'm from this person, yeah. I'm from this person. I learned from Peter. I yeah. learned from Peter. This, is, this is actually, if you read 1 Corinthians, that's the beginning of it, right? Mm-hmm. He says, I hear that there are people among you who say, I am of Cephas, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Apollos. Another says, I am of Christ. That's what he's referring to, because people are coming and saying, I'm from Peter, though, so listen to me. Or like, I'm from Paul, though, and Paul, you know, so. (laughs) Yeah, so the point is that the origins of the Roman church are there in the early 40s, and if it's the early 40s, that means it was the church that Peter was leading. Mm -hmm. And so those who naturally, organically brought the faith to Rome did so through the preaching of St. Peter and the leadership of St. Peter. So we know it's Petrine. Mm-hmm. We know that it's Petrine in character. And it's rooted in, in Jewishness. Okay, so that's that's the yeah. second thing. So, But it's also Jerusalemite. So mm-hmm. let's let's unpack that a little bit because I think Claudius' edict is the next point we, we would get. Yeah, right? yeah. How do we know, why do we, why do we keep saying that the Roman church is thick in its Jewishness? It's deep in its Jewishness. In 49 AD, the emperor Claudius puts out an edict to kick the Jews out of Rome. And Suetonius, a Roman historian, tells us the reason for doing that was because there was disputes going on within the Jewish community concerning a person named Christus. Well, <laughs> historians look back on this and say, well, what it's referring to is Christus, yeah. Christ. The Latins, for some reason, they just weren't that good at Greek. Well, but we also, well, <laughs> but, but, yeah, but we also have instances um, uh, in the historical record of Christians actually be, being referred to in that spelling. Christians, Christians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it is unanimous among historians that what you, Suetonius is referring to is Christ himself mm-hmm. uh, when he says Christus. Mm-hmm. Why is that significant? Well, it shows that in the city of Rome in the late 40s, when the Romans were looking at the Christian community, they couldn't distinguish them yeah. b- between Jews and Christians mm-hmm. because all the Christians were 
Jews. Jews. And so outwardly, they were following the law of Moses. They lived within Jewish communities in Trastevere, right? Just beyond the Tiber River. They probably had their own synagogue or or, or were still a part of the synagogues in the 40s. Mm -hmm. So a very heavily Jewish kind of church in Rome in the the 40s, in the first century. Yeah, and the Jewish character of the Roman church also just shows up in in mere, um, the amount of references that Paul uses of the Old Testament in his letter to the Romans. Like Mm -hmm. when Paul writes his letter to the Romans... So Paul, Paul quotes the Old Testament in all of his letters. He quotes it about a hundred or so times. Mm-hmm. 50% of those references are alone are in the book, are, in in the the book of Romans. Just in the letter of the Romans. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that right there shows you just how steeped mm-hmm. in the Old Testament tradition in Judaism this church really was yeah. um, at that time. Now, that correlates perfectly with Clement's letter, right? Because uh, Clement... Um, for those who don't know, we, we've mentioned it before, but it's a later first century document from Rome and it's from a presbyter in Rome named Clement. <laughs> um, but it's just Jewish straight through. He even refers to the hierarchy of the church there as the high priests, the priests, and the Levites. Yeah, again, the <laughs> Old Testament, the Septuagint is very thick in his in his letter, and there and he never nowhere does he Clement in his letter um, kind of look down on the Jewish rites or look down on the Old Testament. Or there's no it doesn't seem to be a contradiction there for mm-hmm. him. So it's the same kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, a, a very uh, thick Jewishness in the Roman conscience. But, you know, and just to end it, too, uh, that this this portion of it, um, not just the Jewishness, but the, the Petrineness still. I want to drive that home, too, because Mark's gospel is another point. Mm-hmm. Peter, in his letter, refers to Mark as his son, like in the faith. He's my son. Mark traditionally writes his gospel from Rome. From Rome. You know? Yeah, so if the gospel is established in Rome, it's established through uh, Mark's teaching, mm-hmm. which comes directly from Peter. From Peter. Peter gave Mark the information to write his gospel. Yeah. And Mark's um, gospel is the earliest gospel we have. Yeah, we can, we can date that. If we're going to date it early, we date it to the 50s. The 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Matthew's gospel is based on Mark's. <laughs> he, he literally just takes Mark and he fills in a lot of the gaps, but he's using Mark, you know? So it's from Rome that... Peter's preaching through Mark also goes out from Rome and even goes as far as this is why the Church of Alexandria has such a huge emphasis on like Mark came here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Mark was here. Well, and, and before the Council of Nicaea, the two preeminent churches uh, in, in, in the church was Rome and Alexandria because mm-hmm. Alexandria was claiming that Mark founded their church yeah. and Mark was the, was the son, the spiritual son of St. Peter. Yeah. So... If you guys are digging our shirts today, we always say this, but if you're digging our shirts, remember to go to St. Wave by 33 AD. Awesome Catholic yep. apparel. Yep, and you get a promo code, Catholic Bros, one word, Catholic Bros, for 10% off. Yeah, Dan brought the humor today. I brought the fear, you know? It's like, <laughs> sometimes you just, you know, Charbel. there's nothing like, yeah, St. Charbel here, he was, uh, he was actually a, a Maronite saint. Um, if you don't know, the Maronites are an Orthodox church that has always been in communion with Rome, never left communion with Rome. And St. Charbel is sort of like, he's kind of like a St. Anthony to them, you know, like how St. Anthony is to the... He's kind of uh, mystic, a monastic, yeah, desert. A, a hermit. There, there's something, he was a miracle worker, something about his holiness. And it's, 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 honestly, 
looking into the face of a saint can sometimes just change your life mm-hmm. really and so i i love this shirt because in one sense people are like dude <laughs> what's on your shirt yeah. you know and that's a great conversation starter but also there really is something about the face of a really yeah. holy person when sometimes you it's, the, it. it's the humor that i get a conversation started but yeah certainly the fear yeah so go to saint wave by 33 ad again one word catholic bros promo code for 10 percent off your order Okay, so I think we've established then the Petrine character, Jerusalemite, Jewish character of the Church of Rome in, in, in these early days. But now we need to really talk about this center of gravity thing. We, we talked about in our previous episodes about Jerusalem being that sort of center of gravity for the church. Mm-hmm. But once you get into the 60s, the 60s there's a shift. Mm-hmm. It well, starts to shift. Yeah, it does start to shift um, for two main reasons. James is martyred in 62. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also the preeminent apostles are no longer in Jerusalem. And not just Peter and Paul, but all the apostles have gone off into mission into the mission field. Yeah. And by the 60s, most of them have probably died martyrdom already, died yep. through martyrdom. Yep. Uh, and Peter and Paul are left, uh, and they themselves go to Rome. Yeah, they go to Rome. And that's why it's not just about Peter. So when we talk about the church of Rome becoming the center of gravity, later having primacy... I don't want to keep using the word primacy only because it's anachronistic. That's going to be a later concept that comes up. But it it's still, right now, it's just the center of gravity where people are looking to. Mm-hmm. And people are looking to the Roman church. Yeah. Because it's not just about Peter. It's Peter and Paul. There's, it's all over the texts of the early church. Yeah, the, and, and even in the, the cultural memory now, if you go to Rome, if you go visit, for example, St. Peter's Basilica, out in front in the piazza, mm-hmm. St. Peter's square who's standing there in statue form well peter's on one side but saint paul's on the other Mm -hmm. if you go to saint paul's basilica in rome outside the walls who's out front saint paul but who's on the doors of the church it's the story of saint peter's life Mm -hmm. peter and paul are always together Mm -hmm. in the church of rome and in the memory of rome in our own parish yeah you look on the high altar on the right side is saint paul on the left side is St. Peter. And that's traditional in many, many Roman Catholic churches. Both of those apostles are there for a specific reason. And the reason is that St. Peter, we've, we've said this all along, is the apostle to the circumcised, mm-hmm. the apostle to the Jews. St. Paul, by his own admission, is the apostle to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so when you have the two apostles coming together in the faith, it shows forth the unity of the church mm-hmm. and the universality of the church, especially in the narrative that we've drawn out so far. Go back, go back to our, our episode on the Jerusalem council. And you remember, you know, Paul opposed Peter to his face in Antioch. He's calling the Galatians, you stupid Galatians. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're following all these, you know, d- these doctrines from the men, so-called men from James. There's controversy, there's fighting, there's bickering going on. But in Rome, we see these two apostles who supposedly had tension between the two of them willingly go forth together in the same persecution to spill forth, as Tertullian puts it, their blood and their doctrine. Yeah, it was important for the earliest church. That's how they read it. They read it as Peter and Paul, they were here. Mm -hmm. They founded this church. Their preaching was here. They taught together and they died together. And that's what's important to us. Mm-hmm. They died in unity with each other and in love with each other. That's right. And, and that's why you said earlier, too, is a good point, is that we're, we're, the Roman primacy claims are not based on the fact that Rome is the most ancient church. That's not the claim. Mm-hmm. It's based on the fact that it's the church. It is the beginning of the church's unity. And universality. And cap. 
it's the Catholicity and the unity of the church mm-hmm. is in Rome. And I, even when I was a Protestant approaching the fathers, I always like wondered about that when I was reading it, like that most ancient of churches, you know, mm-hmm. where uh, the church of unity, like, the, you know, it was like, where are they getting that? Why are they saying that stuff? You know, like, because I there's, would think they would say great, great deference in all the early letters of the church outside the New Testament, but also in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. We didn't, we didn't uh, mention this yet, but St. Paul, even in his letter to the Romans, there's great deference yeah. to this Roman church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's, that's seen there, especially in the sixties and the church remembers this. So later tradition, late second century, it speaks of, of Peter and Paul, both in Rome. And when they greet each other, finally, they hug each other and they, they're crying tears together. Mm-hmm. And that, it's that image. You see it in icon form of mm-hmm. Peter and Paul holding each other. It meant that's, everything. That's what the church remembered mm-hmm. in one of the apocryphal acts of Peter and Paul. It says that um, just as God has not separated the lights, the sun, and the moon, so too does he not separate Peter from Paul. I'll give you another example of how important this idea of Peter and Paul both being in Rome and both dying in Rome was to the church and to evangelization. So Eusebius preserves for us a little fragment. He says that um, during the papacy of Zephyrinus in, in the late 2nd century, yeah. there was a, a writer, Gaius, who's defending uh, the gospel, and the person he's defending a, 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 the gospel to, this guy is saying, well, you know, I have the bones of the apostles here in Asia Minor or whatever. <laughs> and what Gaius says, he says, oh, yeah? Well, guess what? How cute. When, <laughs> when you go to Rome, yeah, exactly. When you go to Rome, we have the monuments of the apostles Peter and Paul. Peter on Vatican Hill mm-hmm. and Paul on the Ostian Way. And that's exactly where St. Peter's Basilica is. That's exactly where St. Paul's Basilica is. Ostian Way, Vatican Hill. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this is that you, history always seems to vindicate the tradition. So Catholics should take heart in this. Yeah. Listen to this. So for 1,700 years, all we have had, evidence-wise, of a monument over Peter's tomb being on the Vatican Hill was that little fragment. That little sentence. From the history of Eusebius. Okay. Mm-hmm. When archaeologists went into, underneath St. Peter's Basilica, what did they find in the 1950s and 60s? Well, they dug under the, the, the main altar, and what did they find? They found the altar of that dates back to the time of Gregory the Great. Under that, they found the floor of Constantine's original basilica. Mm-hmm. And guess what they find underneath that? The Trapion, the monument that Gaius was talking about <laughs> over St. Peter's grave. The monument <laughs> was there from the 2nd century, marking out where Peter was buried. That's crazy. Tradition yeah. vindicated. And it was important for Gaius to say, no, no, you're wrong. I know we're right because we had Peter and Paul. And that's why it's on, it's on this basis too that we'll see, you know, when we get into it, but with the letter of Clement, you know, because Clement is actually writing to the church of Corinth, which is also a Peter and Paul place, right? Mm-hmm. I'm of Paul, I'm of, Cephas, I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas. He's writing to them to settle their dispute. And he's like, I'm sorry I didn't write to you earlier because I know that you guys, they were, ad- they were asking, asking They were asking help. Rome to settle their dispute for them. Mm-hmm. Why would they, right? And that's late first century. Yeah, because and, Rome wasn't having the problem, yeah. and they too were established by the same two apostles. But it's great; it beca- that's why it's so much authority when Clement invokes the apostles Peter and Paul in that letter, and he even says, "Take up your own letter, <laughs> like take up the writings of the apostle Paul." You know, it, mm-hmm. it's like it comes with so much more because there's unity in, in Rome. Yeah, the unity that they forged in their deaths, Peter mm-hmm. and Paul, and that unity shows up in the late first century. And Corinth is reaching out to Rome and saying, "Help us with our unity issue," basically. Yeah. And then you see how important that letter was to the Corinthian church because a century later, mm. they're still reading it 
in their churches. Yeah. Clement's letter to them. Yeah. And there's another point though too. It's not just it's not just that the fact that they died there, um, or that it was it was the circumcision and the uncircumcision. It's also just the breadth of doctrine that is represented in those two apostles and the ge- the geographical reach mm-hmm. that those two apostles bring to bear. Because for instance, Peter, Jerusalem is where he did his ministry, Antioch, Cappadocia, Bithynia, Pontus, Asia Minor. Mm-hmm. That's Peter. You and how do we know that? Look in his letter, 1 Peter, he says to the aliens and he recounts all the places that he had done his ministry. Mm-hmm. And and he's writing from Rome. Yep. So again, he's at the end of his ministry. <laughs> He's writing back, back now to his church, to all of his churches, and he names all the areas that he has been. So there you go. There's his reach. Now, where was Paul? There's a little bit of overlap, remember? So you got Paul in Antioch. He was there. Mm-hmm. But Galatia, Western Asia Minor. But then you get into Paul's real bread and butter, Macedonia, Greece, then on to Rome. Then finally Rome. So when you have all of I mean, that's the, that's the whole empire. Mm-hmm. And especially when you talk about Mark's gospel eventually getting down to Alexandria. Now you've got Egypt thrown in. And Paul always wanted to get to Spain. Mm-hmm. That was it. That's the far reaches yeah. of the entire empire. And remember that in Antioch, Galatia, and in Corinth, there, wherever, wherever Peter and Paul's ministry overlapped, like we said, there was controversy. There seems to be in Corinth, people are saying, oh, well, I'm a Peter... You're a Paul, mm-hmm. I'm a Apollos, and Paul has to kind of address that. Paul opposed Peter to his face in Antioch. Mm-hmm. In Galatia, he, he recounts that story to the Galatians because they're having the same problems. Mm-hmm. So again, tension between Peter and Paul. Corinth, I'm a Peter, I'm a Paul. Now you get to Rome, mm-hmm. and this is the culmination of both of those apostles' ministry. So they have now preached their gospel, they've established their churches, and they both come at the culmination of their industry yeah. of their ministry to Rome, to die together. Yeah, and it seems like there was probably, just think about these two men as as men. Mm-hmm. There was probably growth on their end too. They mm-hmm. grew in the faith. They grew in love of each other. Um, Paul maybe didn't always take such a hard line as he did in, the, in his letter to Galatians. Yeah. Um, he learned charity, uh, maybe even from Peter himself, to accept the Jewish Christians for mm-hmm. who they are, except that they follow the law of Moses and the Gentiles and the, and the circumcised Jewish Christians, they can live together yeah. and we can prove it mm-hmm. because we're going to die for the same faith. Yeah. And we don't have a controversy in Rome. No, we don't have a controversy in Rome. There's no record of a, <laughs> there's no record of a, of a controversy in the Roman church. And I want Catholics to understand this too, when you're talking to say like an Orthodox or something, because a lot of times the Orthodox will bring up, well, Peter was in Antioch too. Mm-hmm. Peter was here. Peter was there. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but at that time though, there was tension between the apostles. There was tension between their parties. But when you get to Rome, that's the unity of the church. You know, that's where there is no controversy anymore. Mm -hmm. It's done, you know? So again, the birth of the unity of the church is there. The church remembers that. And it is on that basis that the the Roman church wins kind of a center of gravity, which will eventually be just be referred to as the primacy. Yep. And the prestige that it'll have down through the centuries. Yeah. And so it it really, I think Catholics get used to the the shorthand. You know, it's like the Pope is the successor of St. Peter. You know, but it's like, it's more than that. Remember, if you look at the most ancient sources, it's Peter and Paul. And I want people to also understand too, that, that we don't base, the church doesn't base this primacy on the fact that there was a Bishop of Rome named Peter. And on that basis, that church of Rome has primacy in, in the, no, it's the other way around. Primacy for the early church was the churches. Like, so ro- the Roman church had a primacy among the churches, mm-hmm of the world, of the empire. Now, of course, by providence, when every church starts to have a monopiscopate, when they, when they have a single bishop, 
per city. Because remember, you know, different communities did it differently in the early phases of the church. Yeah, the, the hierarchy of the church had to kind of develop a little bit. Yeah, some some uh, some churches just had a group of presbyters. Mm-hmm. Other churches had a very strong single bishop. Um, but once you finally get where the dust settles, the church is developing, and it finally has a single bishop in all of these cities. It is only natural then that the church that has the primacy among the churches, when these bishops get together, well, okay, yeah, well, the bishop of that church has the primacy when we all get together, right? <laughs> so, yep. yeah, it, it just, it, it eventually becomes kind of a shorthand for us to refer to, oh, yeah, the Pope is the successor of St. Peter. But it's really the Pope is the successor of Saints Peter and Paul. And I want Catholics to understand that. Um, so, why Rome, right? That's that's sort of the 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 bread and, or the the nitty gritty of it. But I just want to end on this this subtle point. We hear from like the Orthodox, you know, why you know that's not how it was always done, or <laughs> yeah. all these kinds of or, things, or the right? Protestant, or even the Protestant doubting that Peter was ever in Rome or Paul was there. Yeah, yeah, and and so that's why we're trying to address all these things. But my question, just from a modern standpoint, not even you know leaving the history for a moment, and just from a modern standpoint. What's the alternative? You know, is there really any other way that we should be doing this besides the Roman primacy? Yeah, is there any other way to mark out where the center of gravity should be for the church? Yeah. Or where the primacy should be? What's the better argument? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we're going to keep we're gonna keep bringing this up throughout the history of the church because you're going to see the East kind of always switching how it has its, like, primacy. You yeah, know, well, the, ch- on- you know, the charge from the East or even from Protestants is that, well, your idea of the papacy had developed, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't always that way. Well, the answer back is, well, so has your way of... Or, yeah, so has your way of organizing your church. That has also developed uh, where the East um, has autocephaly, where each bishop is basically its own mm-hmm. emperor in their in their patriarchate. Yeah. Um, look at Vatican II. Yeah. Look at Vatican II. The Pope in Rome says, I'm going to call a council. And who shows up? 2,500 bishops from around the world. You know, eight, nine, ten times the amount of bishops that were at the Council of Nicaea. Who was also at the Vatican II? Visitors from the Orthodox. Yeah. Visitors from the Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. When the Pope says something, when the Pope convenes a council, people listen and people go. And they come. Yeah. But that's not the case in the autocephaly churches. No. Exactly. The, the, the Orthodox churches tried to get a pan-Orthodox council together. Yeah, a great and holy synod together. And they couldn't even get the patriarchs around a table. Rome says, I'm going to have an ecumenical council. And not only do all of the Roman Catholic bishops show up, but so do the Orthodox. And so do the Protestants. Like, Rome is more effective in gathering the Orthodox than the Orthodox are. So again, I'm just saying that not as a ridicule, but it's just to say What's, What's, the the alternative? Alternative? What's the alternative? What really is the alternative? So it's like James says in his letter, right? Like, like you say, I have faith and you have works. But it's like, well, show me your faith by your works. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, you say that we're not doing things right and it should be this way. You know, it should be raw conciliarism. And it's like, but ironically, it's the conciliarists. It's the conciliarists. Yeah, the that conciliar have a hard time meeting together. They can't get a council yeah. together. Well, you, the orth- not just the Orthodox, but uh, Canterbury, the Anglicans. Yep. They're all splitting from each other. Yep. Canterbury can't call a council. Uh, nobody's listening to him anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, and of course, we know the unfortunate uh, um, divisions and, and sectarianism that's there in Protestantism in mm-hmm. general. Nobody can get together to make a decision. That's mm-hmm. unfortunate. And you can't, this is, the, this is the overall point, you can't have conciliarism without primacy. You can't. That's what it proves. It proves that a raw conciliarism, where all the bishops are just kind of like, you know, co-equals and all this stuff, and there's only just like kind of a first among equals sort of thing, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. 
it doesn't work. It doesn't get the bishops together. You need a strong primate to bring it together. And I'll tell you what, what the proof of this in, for the East is the fact that the only time that they could even have councils in the East was when they had an emperor. <laughs> it's like, again, a primacy. They had a seat of primacy. But again, our primacy, I would, I would argue, makes more theological sense because it's a bishop because it comes Rome. from the church it doesn't come from an emperor it doesn't come from a political authority yeah, we don't yeah. need some civil authority to call our councils yeah. we need the bishop you know and especially the premier bishop the successor of the apostles peter and paul yeah and and, and you see it in the iconography of the eastern church versus the roman church so in the eastern church they have the double-headed eagle right which yeah. which, which is the church and the empire basically together mm-hmm. in rome it's the keys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the keys that Peter holds, both temporal and spiritual authority over people's souls. Yeah. Um, it's the keys that Rome has. Yeah. So I think we're going to be engaging with this idea a lot, mm-hmm. you know, but I think I just want to kind of set the tone that this is where we stand. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is why we're Catholic. That's why we're Catholic. Um, and and it's, it's not that it's like a slam dunk, you know, case, you know, every step of the way. It's, it's messy. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting process. It's complicated. It's, it's developing. But at the end of the day, you do have to s- step back because theology has to be rooted in facts. In reality. It has to be rooted in reality. It has, I have to be able to look at it, and, and theologically, it makes sense. I look around the world today, and I see that de facto— Rome has the primacy, <laughs> and and, avenge, and at some point, the de facto has to produce a de jure. Mm-hmm. 